0: Welcome back nature nerds to another episode of you're going to die out there. I'm Jen with my co-host I'm Megan. Hello. It is November and I believe this episode is going to come out
1: after Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving? Yes,
0: it yes. will. And I hope you guys all had a beautiful Thanksgiving
1: and you were thankful for your family members.
0: I hope there was no like horrible discussions. Yes. (laughs) Because things are still weird. They're weird. It's a lot of weird stuff. It's so weird. Turkeys are expensive. So many things. Yeah. And there's a lot of
1: turkeys doing things out there.
0: Uh... (laughs) And yeah. And there was just an, an election and, you know, people are a little jazzed up. They're a little on edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. not here on guam we're cool
1: we're just rolling just over here
0: rolling with the 90 degree weather you know what
1: we're just trying our best to keep this island afloat okay don't <laughs> every rock day the there's you know adjustments distribute the weight evenly
0: mm-hmm. that's how it
1: works that's really why we've actually been teleworking this whole time even before covid because there's only so many people allowed out of their house every day <laughs> It's like an even odd situation.
0: Right. You know, there's only certain days and
1: times you can go to the north side of the island or yeah. the south side. It's like watering day in Georgia mm-hmm. when there's a drought. <laughs> it's amazing. Good times. Real quick before yes. you do your science news, okay. I just want to say have you watched the new season of American Horror Story? No. Which
0: What's it about?
1: It's mainly about the AIDS epidemic mm-hmm. in New York City in 1980, like 81 okay it's so freaking sad i was like watching some of it last night mm-hmm. just like crying
0: just so all the episodes aren't out
1: uh, i don't think all of them are out oh, yet. okay because mm-hmm. they've been doing like two every week or something
0: mm-hmm. are you watching it on what hulu or
1: hulu yeah. oh it's
0: on netflix but i think the older ones yeah
1: yeah, yeah. is
0: it hulu that i watch it on i don't,
1: know. I don't remember oh my gosh
0: it's fx right
1: <laughs> yeah fx i'm pretty sure it's hulu that i watch it on
0: yeah I mean, But is it scary?
1: Yeah, it's scary and gross. There's and some, the there's some like gross parts to it. There's some uh-huh. weird stuff that goes on, but just like so sad. Ugh. It's so hard. Well, fighting.
0: yeah, if it's about the AIDS epidemic, yeah, in the 80s, it's gotta be sad.
1: Whew. Anyway, if you watch it, just so you're just crying. I mean, that yourself. doesn't make
0: me feel like I want to watch it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good though. I think it's good to I avoid like, emotion, <laughs> right? No, I think it's good to like reflect, you know, on that time and like when you were like when I was very small, when but, you were like two. <laughs> but just uh, because I didn't, you know, in the 90s, I was a teenager. So, like, uh-huh. we, we kind of grew up, like, knowing like these things were going on. And yeah. Right. But like the whole early part of it.
0: Right. Oh, God. I remember some weird stuff mm-hmm. from the early part of it. Yeah. Anywho, I'm we I'm, all die I'm, alone, Jen. <laughs> That's what i <I'm>, <laughs> was just really
1: dark. All right. Well, I got really dark watching this. This, watching is, this it. is
0: really, this is really taking a turn, but <laughs> let's starting it
1: out. I hope you're having a good science news today.
0: This is not going to help because my science <laughs> no, news is no. very, it's a little bit morbid, but okay. I mean, yeah, but it's really interesting science. I'm ready. Let's hear you it. You ready? It's an yeah, yeah. It's article from Nature. Okay. And it's called, Why do bat viruses keep infecting people? Oh, no. <laughs> Why? <laughs>
1: it's not the bat's fault, you guys.
0: <laughs> Next American horror story. Oh, no. Okay. So it says, landmark study reveals spillover mechanism for the rare but deadly hendra virus megan's Megan's already tearing up i am (laughs) no it's cool it's really cool in a nutshell i'm just gonna tell you what are you are you okay i'm fine i'm fine fine. she's she's not fine you guys (laughs) there's a several biologists ecologists that are working on this one in particular her name is peggy ebby she's studies flying foxes in australia She's uh, with the university, or I should say Dr. Evie, with the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. And she's studying lactating females and looking at the number of lactating females that are close to weaning their young, which is a proxy for whether the bats are experiencing nutritional stress and more likely to shed viruses that can make people ill. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, okay. So let me just say in a nutshell, this is what it's about. Yeah. It's about they're looking at what environmental factors could cause different behaviors and bats to bring them closer to people Mm -hmm. that somehow they could that these viruses would be spread to people and how they can model based on what they know to predict
1: when that that would
0: happen so they can avoid it Oh, okay so that's the study and it just came out in nature like i said i think Mm -hmm. november 16th oh so really recent very fresh Let's talk about it just a little bit. So Australian flying foxes are the most interest because they host a virus called Hendra, which is a rare but deadly respiratory infection and it kills one in every two infected people. Jeez. One in every two. So don't get that. You don't want to get that.
1: We need to start paddling Guam further away from Australia. <laughs>
0: Hey, now I know. Right. So <laughs> this says that it's very the hinder virus is like the NEPA or SARS COVID, which is a, uh, one we're very familiar with. Very familiar. That has also spilled over to people and they often reach humans through intermediate animal, which is the bat in this case. Sometimes it can be right. other animals. And these spillovers are associated with habitat loss. But they've also wanted they're want- trying to pinpoint it a little bit more than that because there's mm. habitat loss everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. In this paper, Dr. Ebby and her colleagues can now predict up to two years ahead when clusters of Hendra virus spillovers will appear. Or actually, this is from uh, Dr. Emily Gurley, who's an infectious disease epidemiologist.
1: Epidemiologist?
0: Epidemiologist, thank you. At Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. And she says they have identified the environmental drivers of spillovers, and those are food stress, urban shift.
1: No, no, no. Is urban shift just like
0: development? Habitat loss, like moving from what forests and oh, closer to more urban urban, environment. urban environments. Okay. okay. So specifically, they found that clusters of hendrophyrus spillovers occur following years in which the bats have experienced food stress. And these food shortages typically follow years with a strong El Niño, which is a climatic phenomenon in the tropical Pacific. We've we heard about it. We know that place. <laughs> it's often associated with drought along eastern Australia. But if the trees the bats rely on for food during the winter, have large flowering events or a large flowering event the year after there's been a food shortage, then there are no spillovers. Okay, so basically when they get stressed out. When they're stressed. So if they didn't have food, but then right after that there was a big flowering event, it kind of saves them and keeps them from from moving to look for more food. Mm -hmm. The problem is that there's hardly any winter habitat left. Oh no. Also, combining that with this urban shift, Originally in 1994, the Hendra virus was identified following an outbreak in horses and people at a thoroughbred training facility in Brisbane, Australia. The studies later established that the virus spread from its bat reservoir, most likely the black flying fox or Pteropthus electo*. That's it. Two horses through feces, urine, and spats. So droppings from mm-hmm. bats, whether it's feces or when they spit out their food. Ejecta. And uh-huh. so it lands on the grass and then the horses eat the grass and then become infected and spread it the virus to people. Gross. Mm-hmm. It typically occurs in clusters during the Australian winter and several years can go by before another cluster emerges in horses. But cases have been picking up since the early 2000s. So in order to study the mechanism of spillovers, these Dr. Eby and her colleagues collected data on the location and timing of these events the location of bat roosts and their health climate nectar shortages and habitat loss over around 300,000 square kilometers in southeast Australia from 1996 to 2020 2020 right right so they basically got all this data and then they modeled the hell out of it mm-hmm. and they were really happy with their results over the course of the study, they noticed significant changes in the bat's behavior. The flying foxes went from having a predominantly nomadic lifestyles, so they would move in large groups to one native forest, to another in search of nectar,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then to settling in small groups. So they did do that. And then they started settling in small groups in urban areas or agricultural areas, bringing bats closer to where horses and people lived. Mm. So instead of moving all together, they had to split to find food, right? which pushed them closer to people. And then there was a separate study from the team that found newly established roosts of uh, shed Hendra virus every winter. But in years following food shortages, the bats shed more virus. So there's like two parts to it, right? Mm -hmm. If they didn't have food or habitat loss. So if there was habitat loss, they would shed some virus, saying if they got closer to people. Mm -hmm. But if there was also... Layered into that, a food shortage. It yeah. was
1: more. They were like really dumping the virus. They were everywhere. just they were
0: just shooting viruses all over the place.
1: What? So is it like the virus for some reason because they're like have these stressors? Yes, it jacks up the production of the virus. Like, is that what's you're saying? I believe so. And then they're just like pooping it everywhere. <laughs> just yeah, ejecting it ejecting all over the place more. I got it. So
0: they said there were really dramatic winter spikes in infection who is another infectious disease. That's cool. This is Dr. Daniel Becker, an ecologist who focuses on infectious diseases at the University of Oklahoma in Norman, which is one of my alma maters. The study also linked increased viral shedding in bats to increased spillover to horses. So I I guess that's the double whammy. Right. Right. They tried to use this modeling, and I guess they applied it to... There was an El Nino that occurred in 2018, followed by a drought in 2019, That should have led them to believe that 2020 should have been a spillover year, like one of those years, right? But there was only one event in May and none had been detected since. So Mm -hmm. they were like,
1: "Why?" so they said,
0: Dr. Evie said, we threw all the cards back up in the air and looked carefully at all the other elements of our hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Because it just didn't make sense with what they predicted. Eventually, they discovered that when native forests have a major flowering event in the winter following the food shortage, like I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. it helps avert spillovers. In 2020, there was a red gum forest near the town of Gympie, I think, town of Gympie. And there was 240,000 bats that went to that area because of that flowering. And similar winter flowering events occurred in regions in 2021 and 2022. So now their research suggests that these mass migrations take the bats away from horses if there's this big flowering event. Mm-hmm. So they're proposing to restore those specific habitats to, like, like, move them to an area move where they're them, not yeah. going to eject Restore all Restore those right? um, by having those winter flowering events happen. Yeah. And that'll prevent the bats from going near horses and the horses from getting infected and giving it to people.
1: I feel like this is going to lead to people having, like, a bat hummingbird feeder situation. You know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, there's used to be a bunch of little ladies with, like, <laughs> these, like, modified hummingbird feeders, but for bats to Go come get Yeah, And then they just all die from haunt- uh, or Hendra virus. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. i'm just saying i hope that's not the case yeah that would, that would be awful
0: but it's really interesting so if there's a way like it's kind of a I thought it was a really cool yeah. way to use modeling and look at his you know historic events and see how they can avoid that spillover
1: with that paper submission do you think they also submitted like a montage of them like working on the modeling with like a, <laughs> <laughs> like a really like, like graphs you know, like somebody holds up a graphs,
0: and then the yeah. other person's like, "No," and then they crunch, they like wad it up and <laughs> throw, throw <away>. it. Yeah, <laughs> try again.
1: Like if I were,
0: and a- then them like <laughs> laughing and eating ramen. <laughs> And like, and like a noodle comes out somebody's
1: nose, (laughs) (laughs) like clicking their chopsticks together. Like, yeah, we did it. You know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I wish there were. I feel like if I were a scientist who did modeling, like Mm -hmm. I was into like statistics and modeling and all that stuff, which I really hate. Yeah. That I would absolutely send something along with like be really serious about the article. Right. Here's my right. paper. I'm super. I'm super serious. Once it, but once uh, once
0: it's already peer reviewed
1: and published, send that video. Then send the video. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's can not we? Before. Can we start a trend?
0: I mean, right? If scientists you are everywhere, let's do please, this. Please,
1: let's start doing this. I, I feel think, like this yeah. is that would be amazing. <laughs> I feel like it would also somehow bring the public in to like really, mm-hmm, you, you know.
0: I feel like that's a reason why we're here doing this podcast is because we mm-hmm. have to be serious in all the aspects of our life. It's true. And science is so serious and all things are so, so serious. Ser- yeah. We just need we see a little fun every now and then. It's true. Yeah. And sometimes people don't appreciate that at work. <laughs> they don't. When you like make a joke and they're trying to be so serious. And
1: they're like I'm you know what? I'm trying to be serious right now. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, I that was am great. Excited to hear your story. Are you? Yes. We'll see. It's, um, it might be a little bit short. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. That's okay. But anyhow, let me tell you that we are going to talk about the top eight survivors of the highest falls without a parachute today. One wow. of them you have already talked about in our very first ever episode.
0: Oh, yeah. She, she is on two the list. Miles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll but we're going to start out with the top eight, starting with number eight.
0: Okay. That's okay. a, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Okay, It's going to be great. Number eight is James Bull. Mm-hmm. He is a skydiver who completed like 2,500 jumps during his lifetime. In 2009, he fell 6,000 feet in Russia when he opened his parachute too late for it to fully inflate. And he, I guess, didn't have a backup or I don't know exactly what happened, but he hit the ground. When he hit the ground, it left an impact of a one, like a one yard crater. His body did that in this. Well, it was in what? snow, so there's that. But
0: okay, still, so he left
1: a giant snow angel. Giant snow angel. <laughs> um, of course, he survived. This is a list of survivors. He survived. He did have a broken back and some broken ribs. I would guess he was actually able to walk one week after this accident, which blows my mind.
0: Six thousand. But did anything stop him? Did he hit some <laughs> trees? Nothing.
1: Nothing. I didn't read anything about him hitting trees. He was just like, yeah, Maybe the snow. And I guess the snow maybe broke his fall. And I will say that I didn't read too much in depth on these first seven, because we're going to talk about the top one mostly today. So it's possible that maybe he hit something else on the way down. But the article that I read about him, it was just like... He fell into the snow. Dang. And let me just say that skydiving, some people have been like, oh, would you ever go skydiving? And I'm like, absolutely not. Not even with a tandem. I mean, you have to go, I think your first jump, you have to go tandem with like an instructor on your back. Yeah,
0: why do you want to get sandwiched with somebody? <laughs> just so uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> I'd be like, are we married now? <laughs> Is this married at first flight? Oh, <laughs> uh. So good. I feel like our patrons will get that because I talk a lot about it in our most recent Patreon issue episode, episode. <laughs> close enough anyway so let's move on to number seven okay this is a uh, julianne cook yeah which you talked about in our very first episode Well, i was so. thinking
0: like she did not jump from a pl- i mean she was in a she, plane crash yeah and sort. Sw- but the thing is is like are most of these people who did it on purpose because she absolutely did not
1: so i would say there's a pretty good mix okay of like people who did it on purpose mm-hmm. people like people who skydive okay and then people who were in wartime that's one category and then people who were just like in an accident. Okay. And there was they had no control over okay, what was happening. Okay, which is Julian. Yeah, which is Julian Cope's yeah, situation. So super quick synopsis for those of you who haven't listened to our first episode. What? <laughs> I mean, <it's> so amazing. <laughs> she was on a flight over the Peruvian rainforest in 1971 when the plane that she was on hit really bad turbulence, was struck by lightning, and then she fell 10,000 feet or 2 miles, landing in the jungle with a broken collarbone, one shoe and it said only a few sweets for food. And I know we talked about that. She had those like lemon drops or something.
0: She had some... It wasn't lemon drops. It was something some other kind of Christmas candy. Right. And But it went in the mud.
1: But that was the fruitcake. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. you said she had a bag of like hard candies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fruitcake, right. <laughs> we talked a lot... In that episode, we talked a lot about the fruitcake. <laughs> I was obsessed with it. Right. I still I, am. I think about it from time to time. Uh, so we talked think. about
0: making one, which we did never... never happened
1: this year let's do it this year it'll be great Um, i won't ruin the episode but she fully survived the fall obviously and spent 10 days in the jungle jen talks about it in depth it is insane it's insane read the book yeah Uh, number six is a south african skydiver christine mckenzie on August of 2004, she was 23 years old. She fell 11,000 feet to the earth in a free fall when her parachute failed to open. She tried to open her reserve chute, but that malfunctioned. It partially inflated and then became tangled. Oh, my God. Like, and everything. She ended up surviving with a broken pelvis and some bruising. She survived because she hit power lines. <gasps> uh. Which... I know we say power lines, but like nine times out of ten, those lines are like telephone lines. Uh-huh. So maybe it's not. So but, she, yeah. but the well, idea of just electrocuted. like hitting the lines and like not dying just from I don't know. I don't know being split into a million pieces <laughs> yes. through the line, right? But yeah, if it weren't for those power lines, she. would have I wonder if the power sure. lines
0: are like covered or something, so if like oh, animals hit them. Yeah, because you, right? You would think she would just, or they're be just electrocuted. like
1: that metal that like wrapped braided metal. Uh, it's like really all thick. Sounds terrible. Every all everything about that is awful. But she yeah. made it. She well, survived. So amazing. Yeah, insane. Uh-huh. Uh, number five on the list is Larissa Savitskaya. She fell seventeen thousand one hundred and thirty feet, and she was the sole survivor of Aerofloat flight. That's Aerofloat is the name of the company. Oh. Eight, uh, 811 in nineteen eighty one. Yes, and this was kind of nuts. Yeah, this
0: is a nut story. I kind of <laughs> yeah. read a little about this when I was reading Julianne's story.
1: Yeah. yeah. So there was this missile carrier aircraft. They were over the Russian Taiga, which if you're a patron, we talk about that in our most recent episode, what a Taiga is, but it's like subarctic forest. Mm-hmm. And the passenger plane that she was on, this missile carrier, I think it's a Russian missile carrier, they collide in the air. And it's something about that the missile carrier wasn't on any kind of mission. They were doing just some like, weather reconnaissance? Weird. Super weird. But I'm going to read from this article where she gives an account of the fall following the impact, the collision. At some point, she was knocked out into the aisle. There, she suddenly remembered an Italian movie, Miracles Still Happen. She had watched it in a cinema with her, I think, new husband. Like, Mm -hmm. she had just gotten married. Uh, Vladimir, he died instantly in the crash. So she was still, he had died Immediately. She says that the movie tells the story of Julianne Cook, who survived a plane crash in the Peruvian forest. Mm -hmm. Larissa recalled just one thought, how to die without torture. I caught hold of the arm pads and tried to push my arms and legs back from the floor and the seat with all my strength. Julianne had done the same in the movie. Luckily, the piece of an 24-RV tail... So I guess that's, like, part of the airplane, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Part of the airplane with her chair was gliding slowly down, and it didn't, like, make really big turns. So whatever part of the plane she was still in was kind of intact. Um, she recalled she couldn't see what was going on. Quote, clouds flew along on in the viewpoint. Then the solid fog covered them. Then the howl of the wind was deafening. The plane didn't set on fire. Suddenly, there was a green explosion in the viewport. The taiga, I tensed up and put myself together. Then, after eight minutes of free fall, her plane, the fra- plane eight minutes, eight minutes. The plane fragment that she was in landed on a stand of birch trees, which I guess are super flexible. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And it just kind of like, I mean, obviously, it was still a pretty hard impact, but she, they bent enough to like break the fall, and that's how she survived. Mm-hmm. But then somebody had to find her in there. Yeah, which I'm assuming that because they hit a military aircraft that probably was being like tracked in some way. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like pretty easy to find her, I assume. But that sounds like another story we should totally That's cover. That's another
0: story for another day. Definitely. So I was meaning to tell you,
1: <laughs> yes. you know,
0: um, I always laugh because the documentary for Julian Cope, mm-hmm. the guy who did the documentary, I and mean, we talked about this forever ago, and oh, that yeah, first yeah. Of, yeah. Is, is Werner Herzog. <laughs> And I always think about the sad beige sad clothes <laughs> for sad. Werner
1: Herzog's sad beige clothes for sad beige children. I love that. Like I love her so much. Whoever makes that TikTok, I love them.
0: Yeah, I can't think of her name right now. So I've watched, good. like, it, just go to her TikTok and just watch all of them.
1: It, just look up sad beige children. It's watch
0: every so video. funny. But she always says Werner Herzog. <laughs> yes. says. and
1: I'm always like, but that's the director for a lot of stuff. But right? he also did that documentary. Well, you know, the thing that's funny to me, Is that also whenever her picture shows up in something like All That's Interesting, or someone on Instagram is like gonna tell the story or something? They always use a clip of her when they took her back and she like stood in the water to show them. Uh-huh. Right. And mm-hmm. they're like, this is her. And, the, you know, and then people are always like, how did they get a picture of it? You know, and it's like, no, it's no one explains that. That's just like a, after the fact. Yeah. This is after the fact. Like, that's why her dress is clean and she <laughs> looks good. <laughs> right. <laughs> and no one was taking her photo in the middle of the forest. She
0: had her iPhone and was taking selfies <laughs> in 1971. Totally.
1: Oh, my God. Anyway, that always cracks me up. Yeah. All right. She's a
0: very cool lady, by the way.
1: It's the truth. Go
0: back in and just look her up. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Uh, number four is a rear gunner sergeant, Nicholas Alchemade, or Alchemad, I'm not sure, of the Royal Air Force. In 1944, Nicholas was in a Lancaster bomber, that's a kind of plane, Yep. if you don't know, that was hit by enemy fire, and in the gunfight and subsequent fire on the plane, so it caught on fire, his mm-hmm. parachute was destroyed. So he had to jump from the plane, I guess this was just like... A moment of, like, I have to survive, right? Mm -hmm. Jumps from the plane, falls 18,000 feet. (gasps) It says where his landing was softened by trees and deep snow in Berlin.
0: Oh, he landed in Germany? Yeah. (laughs) That is
1: unfortunate. I want to know more about his story. This is just a small clip. He survived. He had a broken wrist and a broken leg. I wonder how long it took for him to fall that far. 18,000. I mean, more than eight minutes, right? I don't know. Because you would think if someone's in a piece of a plane, it's going to be heavier, so it'll fall faster.
0: Uh, physics, right? I I need to. I don't know. Can we do? Let's do his story. <laughs> let's. I love doing should. World War Two stories. Yeah, there you go. Maybe I'll do
1: it. Sergeant Nicholas Alchemade, Alkemade. A L K E M A D E. Okay. It's
0: happening, people.
1: (laughs) Number three on the list is World War II Air Force Sergeant Alan McGee, who was part of a B-17 Flying Fortress crew that was hit by German fire during a mission. He had been shot, actually, and ended up ejecting himself from the aircraft at 22,000 feet. His parachute didn't open. Oh, my God. And he ended up crashing through a glass ceiling in a train station. (laughs) <laughs> oh, my. Just, like, diehard. You know what I mean? Like, Was he still insane. in a seat? Was he in a seat? I assume he was still in the seat. I don't know. That's another one I want to know more about. The glass ceiling actually managed to save his life, they say. That um, doesn't sound like it would save your <laughs> no, life at all. No. Apparently, quote, cushioning the fall enough so that he only had some minor injuries. What? 22,000 feet. That just, no. Yeah. All right. This one's even more Insane. Number two, this is Lieutenant Colonel Chisov, a navigator on a Soviet Air Force bomber. In January 1942, they were fighting Luftwaffe mm. fighters, okay. and he had to bail. So another crewman on the same flight, Nikolai, he was like Chisov, leap from the plane at about twenty-three thousand feet. Oh my god! And he says later, right, because he survived. That he knew that the fight was going on. Mm-hmm. So he thought, I'm not going to put my parachute up until I'm below the fight so that they won't see me. So I won't like put my parachute up and then some German guy is just going to shoot me uh-huh. in the middle of the air. You know? Right. So he's like, I'm just going to wait take get a little bit below. But he's at 23,000 feet. So what happens when he jumps out? He passes out. Because oh. Because the air is so thin. Because
0: it's really up there.
1: Yeah. So he fully passes out. Unfortunately, he struck the edge of a snowy ravine. I guess he was going 120 to 150 miles per hour, something around there. Oh, my God. Yeah, he never woke up until uh-huh. after. <laughs> so his parachute was not open. The troops that were watching the air fight from the ground, they could see what was going on, right? They're watching this air fight. They see him falling. They're like, bro. <laughs> They're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, They actually got to the site. They find him alive, but unconscious. Uh huh. He was still wearing his unopened parachute, obviously.
0: Oh, bummer. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the people he was on the plane with, they also survived.
1: They did. Yeah. So, so he didn't
0: need to jump in the first place. No,
1: they and they had to. Everybody ejected.
0: But they did it but later. But they did it
1: when they were lower. Yeah
0: they were like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> He's already gone. Yeah. And then he just like, this
1: goes on. Gosh. They're like, it's fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> um, he suffered severe injuries, of course. Um, he had spinal injuries, a broken pelvis. Oh, he man. was in critical condition for a month following the fall. But three months later, he was cleared to fly again. No. He did request combat missions. I read someplace where he had like 700 combat missions or something. But they didn't let him, after this, they didn't let him fly combat missions. Instead, they had him become a navigator trainer they're they're like like, we know
0: you're the baddest guy and all but hey look you gotta stop already yeah so wait how did he how do you do all that and then go like i would just 1942 i don't know
1: i'd be like take me home exactly but i'm thinking because he was already in so many combat missions i feel like he was just kind of like
0: well and i apparently he landed and was found by allies because i thought you were going to say he landed and that no they took him to a prison
1: (laughs) No, he was he was okay. Like Uh, he
0: was found by his friends. That's good. So they were just watching with their binoculars. They were like, What the fuck? They're like, is he awake? (laughs) Is he
1: okay? He's just like passed out. (laughs) Wonder what dream he was having. (laughs) Just the worst falling dream ever. Yeah. Like, I can't believe these people have survived these things. It's insane. It is insane. All right. Are you ready for number one? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Okay, so this is our number one. She's our subject for today's episode, and her name is Vesna Volovic, V U L O V I C, and it has like the little hmm. thingy thing over it. So I think it's Vich. Okay. At the end, she was born in Belgrade or Belgrade, Serbia, mm-hmm. in uh, January of 1950, January 3rd, which I think makes her an Aquarius. Aquarius, yes, I guess. They're Is like that a good flashy one? People. Yeah, that's a are good they? one. They're flashy. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're fancy. They're fancy. It just says her fatherman her fatherman. <laughs> her father was a businessman and her mother was a fitness instructor. What? So I don't a know. A fitness instructor. In 1950. What are they doing in 1950? Just standing on one of those like Belts that like move you back.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna, I'm just totally just trying like to
1: holding, picture a, it. holding a holding a martini or something. Yeah, a martini. <laughs> just like no, 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 yeah.
0: Just like smoking on your like run. You like yeah. I yeah. don't know. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Anyway, growing up, she was a huge fan of the Beatles. She really Love wanted it. to go I'm to there for en- that. Yeah, she really wanted to go to England. In fact, she went after she finished um like the grammar, middle, high schooly age, right? Uh-huh. She was like, I'm going to go into language. I want to learn as much English as possible. I'm going to move to England, you know. So I can scream and pass out. Yes. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And she ended up realizing that dream. So after her first year of university classes, she went to England. Uh, she said, I initially stayed with my parents' friends in Newbury, but I wanted to move to London. It was there that I met up with a friend who suggested we go to Stockholm. When I told my parents I was living in the Swedish capital, they thought of the drugs and the sex and told me to come home <laughs> at once. <laughs> I love it. The fitness instructor. Yeah. <laughs> so she went back home to Serbia. Nice. They were like, you better keep it right now. Oh, no wanna, red light I want to know.
0: Look, can we do a story about her mom? I just... Uh, right? That's
1: what I... I, I want to I, know. I, I want to know too. the stories. When she got home, she saw one of her friends who had just been hired or been working for... um. An airline. She was in a flight attendant's uniform, and she was like, "That is freaking awesome! You look super great." Because right, it's like they're really yeah. <laughs> the even 60s. now,
0: even now, I'm sometimes I look at flight attendants. I'm like, so put together. How are you guys so like fancy every day? Is there like a class? How do you get your hair like that? I mean, just I'm perfect. just so like in comfy clothes, mm-hmm. like just trying to make it through the flight, and they're just like <laughs> looking good.
1: Okay, I think about how, what I look like this past summer when we went to go visit people i'm wearing the trash panda hoodie that you got me okay (laughs) Uh just my eye mask is on top of my forehead you know i'm wearing i'm one of those jerks who wear my neck pillow around my neck Uh uh-huh just so disheveled
0: i i'm like kind of like comfy but try to be put together because sometime a long time ago people were like you if you ever have the opportunity to get bumped up to first class you can't look like a complete
1: right like slob but i will say this you can look like a slob if you buy that first class ticket you absolutely can <laughs> you can do you can whatever look like whatever you want but i don't
0: think that's true anyway yeah because you remember that don't you remember when they were like you need to look nice yes it's like, not true what's that
1: they're like do you have a dinner jacket
0: <laughs> exactly i feel like that and so now i'm always like well can i wear these sweatpants
1: right yeah. but it's like she was flight attendant in the time that they were called you know like stewardesses and everybody's smoking Excuse on the plane me, Stewardess, yeah, yeah and everybody comes in like suits and dresses and stuff because you uh-huh. know you're going on a plane it's very important yeah it's a big anyway deal. she says she looked so nice and had just been to london for the day i thought why shouldn't i be an air hostess i could go to london once a month
0: Totally I'm like, I get it. I get I it. I get it. Mm-hmm.
1: So she applied and was hired mm-hmm. by JAT in 1971. And just real quick, JAT Yugoslav Airlines was launched April 1st of 1947. They were replacing a company called Aeroput in uh, 1948 I guess is when they fully replaced them. And uh, the name was changed to Jugoslavinski Aerotransport which they abbreviated to JAT. Thank God. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And today, I mean, it's been through a number of iterations of like name changes, but kind of similar to JAT this whole time. But just recently, I think in the last like 10 years or something like that, five years, something, I can't remember exactly, they changed it to Air Serbia. Okay. So same company, different name. Okay. Got it. So eight months after Vesna was hired, it's January 25th, 1972. She's not even in a permanent position. She's still... Just filling in, <laughs> yeah. Like someone's gonna be like, any infraction, you're fired. You know, right? She's still like substitute teaching, yeah. yeah. Um, and she gets scheduled for a flight from Stockholm to Belgrade, stopping over in Copenhagen in Zagreb, and then like ending in Zagreb, okay. Serbia. And in case you wanted to know, the plane that is she's gonna be flying on is a JAT Airways McDonnell Douglas DC nine, and the flight number is three sixty seven.
0: Okay,
1: and just in case you need to know that, I don't yeah,
0: know, you might. It's- Somebody's Googling it right now. For sure. Feel it.
1: Uh, weirdly, the reason that she was on this flight is because there was a scheduling error because there was another flight attendant also named Vesna. And I guess whoever was scheduling was confused and like got their name switched. And so she was like, I don't even care because I get to go to Denmark. I've never been. Mm-hmm. She's like super stoked to go to Copenhagen. And so she was like, I don't care. This is great. Too and, many Vesnas. <laughs> too many Vesnas. <laughs> Just like only in that part of the country. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, So she meets up with... Part of the country, part of the world. Part of the world. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that time, it was kind of like, there were a lot of places all kind of together that are now Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) I tried to... Yeah, I tried. It's okay. I tried to read. It's a lot. Right. Eastern European history, man.
0: It's rough. It's complicated. Yeah, there's a lot of things.
1: So she meets up with some other crew members in Copenhagen. So she's actually going to meet... The Stockholm plane is going to fly down to Copenhagen. And then they're going to fly from Copenhagen to Zagreb, right? And then Zagreb to Belgrade. So that's kind of the flight pattern. So she's getting onto this in Copenhagen. So she's not actually in Stockholm. So she gets to Copenhagen and she's there for one afternoon and the following morning before that plane is going to get there. They're going to have to board. And she was really stoked specifically because she got a room at the Sheraton in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And apparently it was like really fancy or she like it was like a dream of hers to stay at the Sheraton, which I love. I love that, too. Yeah, I feel that. And she really wanted to do some sightseeing
0: Uh because she
1: was all about travel and like learning new things. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And what a cool what a cool city. For sure. Yeah.
1: But all of her coworkers, all the other crew members were more interested in getting souvenirs for their families. So she just kind of like tagged along with them. Mm hmm. She was interviewed in 2002 and says, quote, everybody wanted to buy something for his or her family, so I had to go shopping with them. They seemed to know that they would die. This yeah, they didn't even talk about it, but I saw I felt for them and the captain was locked in his room for 24 hours. He didn't want to go out at all. In the morning during breakfast, the co-pilot was talking about his son and daughter as if nobody else had a son or daughter. Oh, there's a little bit foreshadowing. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's sad. I guess, I mean, yeah. When looking back on things, right? she's like, well, these are interesting behaviors.
1: Yeah. Huh. Recalling those. She also mentioned in this article, and it it will be in with the links, that every six months they would have a safety and security training. But of course, this is a different time, right? There are no x-ray machines. Nobody's getting patted down like TSA. But being with JAT for eight months meant she would have done at least two of these trainings, like her initial onboarding. And then six months in, she Mm -hmm. would have had like a safety training. So the next day is January 26th. They did all their Copenhagen stuff. The flight 367 departs from Stockholm at 1.30 p.m. and lands in Copenhagen, where Vesna and the other crew are going to switch out with the Stockholm crew. Oh. Yeah. Vesna says, as it was late, we were in the terminal and saw it park the plane. I saw all the passengers and crew deplane. I'm imagining this is the time that you just, like, got off the plane onto the tarmac. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, it wasn't... You You just walked off the... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She says, one man seemed terribly annoyed. It was not only me that noticed him either. Other crew members saw him, as did the station manager in Copenhagen. I think it was the man who put the bomb in the baggage.
0: Oh, shit. I think he
1: had checked in a bag in Stockholm, got off in Copenhagen, and never reboarded the flight. And it's like, in this day and age... See something, say something. You know what I mean? Yeah. That guy would have been stopped for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, there's so, so many things have
1: changed. So many, so many things. Yeah. But in this case, it's like he could have bought a ticket all the way to Belgrade or Belgrade, right? Mm-hmm. But he just gets off in Copenhagen and, and never no, one, yeah. no one, no cares. one cares. No one cares. Nope. Not okay now, sir. Not okay now. And actually, she mentions that before this flight, there were never x-rays in the airports. Mm-hmm. And after this flight, there were x-ray machines in the airport. That's when it started. That's when it started. Yeah. Yeah. So 3.15 p.m. rolls around and flight 367 departs. A little less than one hour later, something like 45, 46 minutes later, they're flying over what is now Chechia or the Czech Republic. It's 4.01 p.m., Vesna and the other flight attendants were likely, they were doing like a beverage service, probably. We're not entirely sure. We'll Mm -hmm. talk about why later. Mm -hmm. Uh, When suddenly an explosion tears through the DC-9's baggage compartment.
0: Oh, God.
1: Yeah. The aircraft is plummeting to the ground, breaking apart over this small farming village called, and please, please, I'm so sorry, Serbska Kamenis. It sounds. Oh, man. That's exactly how the locals say it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so this farming village is located between these huge forests and like national parks uh-huh. that are in sounds the Czech beautiful. Republic. Yeah, yeah. A local farmer. I read a couple different articles, but Bruno Honk Honke. Maybe it's H O N K E. Yeah, I don't okay. know. All right. Um, he hears screaming from the hillside near his home. Right. Uh. He uh, some one article said he woke up. But it's like in the afternoon. Nothing wrong with that, Megan. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know if he was actually sleeping or what. That was a nap. I mean, maybe he didn't hear the crash, but he heard time. screaming, mm-hmm. you know. I assume he saw or heard the crash at some point. Okay. Um, he found the crash site, and the scream is actually coming from Vesna. She ended up being the only survivor of the 28 passenger and crew on board, all the people on board.
0: I mean, that's a pretty small flight. It's a pretty small flight. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I mean, not good no. for those people, but good, you know. Some of these are
1: massive. Yeah, yeah. He said her turquoise uniform was covered in blood, and her stiletto heels had been torn off by the force of the impact. Uh, incredibly, Bruno is a medic, like a former medic from World mm-hmm. War II. This might dismiss like diminish his heroic efforts here, but he was a German medic. Okay, in World War II.
0: Well, it is what it is. It they, is what it I is. mean, you live where you live, and you can't choose
1: if you're yeah. forced
0: to go uh, be in the.
1: The military this is the truth Yep. either way he was able to keep vesna alive until rescuers arrived mm-hmm. so she was in a coma for days after that she had a fractured skull and br- multiple brain hemorrhages um, she also suffered two broken legs three b- broken vertebra and actually her spine was kind of like twisted Ugh. one of her vertebra was completely crushed
0: this is when you see somebody in a full body cast <laughs> and you think that that's a joke, like it's just something they use, in, but it's actually it's like, real, Yeah, it, this is like the time when
1: somebody's in a full body For test. sure. Her pelvis was fractured. Several of her ribs were broken. She was temporarily paralyzed until she had surgery to correct all these spinal issues. After she had the surgery at first, she could only move her left leg. And then a, I guess like a month later, she was able to move her right. Wow. Um, Her parents had to sell both of their cars to pay for her treatment. And I was like... Was there not universal health care at that time? No, why Serbia? wasn't the
0: airline paying for it?
1: Well, yeah, that too. I mean, there's, I mean, and there's no talk about litigation. Like workers' comp? <laughs> like, what the hell? Right? No, there was nothing I don't know if there was nothing like that or what, maybe because she was a temporary worker at the time no. or like a non-permanent position. Come on. I have no idea, but they don't really talk about it. She talks about the impact on her parents later, but no one really talks about why they were paying her health care. Because that I agree should have 100% been paid by the airplane. And
0: company. plus, yeah, she should have
1: gotten a Air lot, plane. a lot more. Oh yeah, Jeez. it it gets worse. Okay. Oh, great. <sighs> yeah. In total, she spent 16 months recuperating. Yikes. In 2008, in an interview, she said nobody ever expected me to live this long, but she attributed her recovery to Serbian stubbornness and quote a childhood diet that included chocolate, spinach, and fish oil. I love it. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say this, though. I like the chocolate part. Yeah. Spinach. Mm. No, no, no. So when I, because I broke my leg. That's a very right? Popeye you thing. You remember when I broke my leg, right? Uh-huh. And like leafy greens uh-huh. are number one, the thing you should be eating when you break a bone because it helps like absorb the calcium from like whatever you eat, milk, uh-huh. or whatever, to help your bones grow. Like you have to have that leafy green. Well, that's
0: why Popeye was always eating That's right. Spinach. I'm getting <laughs> strong.
1: <laughs> Super strong. Yeah. So she had total amnesia from the hour preceding the fall until one month afterward. She never could remember what happened in that time. So she remembers people boarding the plane and her greeting them and then nothing else until a month later when her parents were telling her about the crash.
0: My gosh.
1: Yeah. They say that she did at one point learn about the crash two weeks after it occurred, but she fainted upon being shown a newspaper article by the doctor and she had to be tranquilized. And she doesn't remember any of that. because Well, her brain was all messed up. Super traumatic. Yeah. The last thing she could remember, like I said, was greeting the passengers. The next thing she remembers is seeing her parents in the hospital room one month later.
0: Wow. It's insane. So does it say how far she fell?
1: Oh, did I not say how far? No. I think I'm going to get to it. But it was 33,333 feet. Holy shit. Yeah. That's insane. Wait. Yes. How many miles is that? Oh, was it like six miles or something? No, oh.
0: no, you cannot live from that.
1: You can't live. She lived. So I'm going to talk about why, why they think she did. OK. OK. She had uh, remained in the hospital until March of 1972 in the Czech Republic, and then she was flown home. Prior to the flight, they they offered her an injection to like sedate her for the flight home, but she was like, I don't remember anything. I'm totally fine. I love flying. <laughs> like, it's mm. totally fine. Really? Yeah. Like so there she was got no little, PTSD. No PTSD. Oh, well, that's, that's fortunate. Yeah. When Bruno had found her, the farmer, um, she was trapped underneath a service cart. So part of her body was actually inside the plane. Like the lower half was inside the plane. It was under the cart and another flight attendant. Okay. Who had died. And then her upper body was halfway out of the aircraft. I heard that it was like just her or I read that it was just like her head. But Mm -hmm. then in other things, it was like, I don't know if, like, when they landed, she just kind of, like, fell out a little bit. Uh Maybe they all slid. Because it does, I'll tell you in just a second, they kind of landed at an angle. So investigators say there's a couple factors that ensured her survival. They think that the the fuselage that she was pinned inside, like I said, landed at an angle in a heavily wooded and snow-covered mountainside that cushioned the impact. And then she also had a history of low blood pressure. Mm. Like, she has really super low blood pressure. And yeah. you can't have that as a flight attendant uh-huh. because you're going to be in, like, altitude. You're going to be changing altitudes. So you might pass out if you have low br- blood pressure. But when she interviewed for the job, she drank, like, I think she said an incredible amount of coffee <laughs> 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 before she had the medical part where they'd, like, check all your vitals and everything. Uh huh. And so it looked like she was fine. That's they're like, weird. They're like, did I you drink the... any coffee? She's like, no, I'm fine.
0: I I always had really low blood pressure. And I think my caffeine intake makes it normal. Yeah. Because I went to give blood one time in college and they're like, your blood pressure is too low. We cannot let you. Right. And I was like, they're like, are you, are you alive? Are you okay? Are you okay? I was like, I'm totally fine.
1: So they say that because she had such low blood pressure, she passed out very quickly after the de- depressurization of the cabin. And that kept her heart from bursting upon impact. Oh my God. So if she had had normal to like high blood pressure, her heart would have burst when they hit the ground.
0: That's insane. Because
1: her low, low blood, her blood pressure was so low, then it didn't. So those oh are the gosh. two reasons why. Uh, following the explosion and the crash, in some cases I read that they claimed it, but in others I read it that it was suspected that the Croatian nationalists planted the bomb. Uh, mm-hmm. Between 1962 and 1982, Croatian nationalists carried out 128 terrorist attacks against Yugoslav citizens and military targets. Uh, on the same day of the crash, there was a bomb that exploded aboard a train traveling from Vienna to Zagreb that injured six. No one died, I think. in that. Mm-hmm. There is an account that a man describing himself as a Croatian nationalist called a Swedish newspaper the following day and claimed responsibility for the bombing. But there were no arrests that were ever made in connection with this. So they never figured out who did it. See, they didn't have like security cameras, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess 1972, mm-hmm. I don't know, be pretty grainy because of this whole Croatian nationalist and like it was a bomb and everything when that uh, when she was in the hospital, she her room was placed in her 24 hour police protection because they thought that because she might remember what that guy looked like, mm-hmm. that someone was going to come and kill her. So the guards changed uh, shifts every six hours and no one was allowed in to see her except for her parents and doctors. Wow. She's on like lockdown. In September 1972, Vesna wanted to be a flight attendant again. But J.A.T. felt like her being on flights would attract too much attention. They were like, you're kind of a celebrity. Uh, and, and not t- a good way for <laughs> us. Not, not a good way for us. Yeah. Also, we never paid your medical bills. I mean, you know. Right. <laughs> So they gave her a desk job negotiating freight contracts. In the former Yugoslavia, she was celebrated as a national hero. She also received a decoration from Yugoslav president, Josip Tito, and the Serbian folk singer Miroslav Ilic recorded a, t- a song. It's called Vesna the Stewardess. <laughs> and I should have looked it up. I totally didn't. I want to know what that song sounds like.
0: Do you want me to look it up? If you
1: want to, sure. Okay. Um, She was also made an honorary citizen of Srpska Kamentz, the farming village that they fell into. Yeah, they made her an honorary citizen. Bruno, the farmer who found her after the crash, had a granddaughter who was born six weeks after she fell, after the plane crashed. And he named, he, I guess, convinced his, I don't know, son, son son-in-law, daughter, daughter daughter-in-law, whoever, Mm -hmm. uh, to name the child Vesna in her honor, which they did which
0: I think is kind of cute. That is, yeah,
1: that is. Sadly, both of her parents died a few years following the crash. She did get married in 1977. They tried to have a child, but she suffered an ectopic pregnancy, and she was never able to conceive children. Aww. Yeah. In 1985, the Guinness Book of World Records recognized her as the world record holder for surviving the highest fall without a parachute. This is where I say it. It's 10,160 meters, 33... 1330 feet or 6.31 miles that is so insane yeah
0: like there's people who just trip and fall and hit their head and die done
1: (laughs) and she fell more than six miles it's insane insane. uh when she received the recognition from the guinness book of world records do you know who gave her plaque only because i just looked
0: up the song thing and i think i know but go ahead Paul McCartney. That's so cool.
1: Paul McCartney came and presented it to her, and there's a picture, and it's freaking adorable. She is so cute. She's, like, so happy. Anyway. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. It's so nice. In the early 1990s, she got divorced and apparently attributed the divorce to her chain smoking, which her husband disapproved of. (laughs) (laughs) Which Listen, (laughs) she survived a six-mile fall. If she wants to chain smoke. If the girl wants to chain smoke. Just let let her do it. Listen. Yeah. Around the same time in the 90s, she was fired from J.A.T. No. Yes. For speaking out against Serbian statesman Slobodan Milosevic. And she was taking part in anti-government protests at the time. Mm. She was never arrested, though, because she was like... Too cool. A national treasure. Yeah. And they were like, we can't arrest her. So everyone will hate us. And it wasn't that she was like directly fired. It was like they started decreasing her pay. They made her move her desk to the basement. (laughs) They took away
0: her red stapler.
1: (laughs) They were like, no more.
0: Right. They didn't give her the cake at the party. Yeah.
1: Because of the activism, pro-Milosevic newspapers launched a smear campaign against her, claiming that Flight 367 had been shot down by a Czechoslovakian surface-to-air missile and that she had fallen from a lesser height than previously believed. But that has been since disproved with data from the plane's black box.
0: Oh. So
1: the black box recorded that they fell from 33,330 feet. Lame. Um, she was a major celebrity in anti-government demonstrations. And when that Milosevic, I guess, group, whatever, the Socialist Party of Serbia were ousted in October of 2000, mm-hmm. she was on the balcony of the Belgrade's City Hall to make victory addresses with other celebrities and activists. She was like super into it. There's like a whole thing about how she inspired all of these people to be activists and like, participate in she's politics like a and the real government. life superhero yes yeah she's so freaking cool yeah she later campaigned on behalf of the democratic party and advocated for serbia's entry into the european union which she believed would bring economic prosperity nice yeah she admitted to struggling with survivor's guilt saying whenever i think of the accident i have a prevailing grave feeling of guilt for surviving and i cry then i think maybe i should not have survived at all But she said that the experience turned her into an optimist. She said, if you can survive what I survived, you can survive anything. Well, (laughs) a thousand percent, including chain smoking. Agreed. Yes. Just do it. (laughs) (laughs) In the last years of her life, Vesna lived on a pension of 300 euros per month. That's like 300 United States dollars, like USD. Very small. She lived in a dilapidated apartment. She said in a later interview, I don't know what to say when people say I was lucky. Life is so hard today.
0: Aww. She felt
1: that her parents might not have died prematurely have she, had she not been aboard that flight, stating that this incident not only ruined her life, but also those of her parents because of the stress, mm-hmm. like financial stress, emotional stress, like worry for her. She has only a- granted interviews occasionally, and she's declined a lot of those requests for interviews. Most notably, she declined to be interviewed by Oprah Winfrey and the BBC. Really? She was like, no, she thank you. She said no to Oprah? Yeah.
0: Yes, that's hardcore.
1: She said she was tired of discussing the fall. By the time she reached her 60s, her health had declined to the point that she was not able to take part in the annual commemorations in that small farming village. I guess she had been going for many years. Mm-hmm. Like every year, they. I think there's like a, like not a statue, but like a, like a monument commemorating the flight and the people who died there. And then she would always go and like talk to everybody. And then she couldn't when she got to her 60s. Mm-hmm. In December of 2016, her friends became concerned for her well-being after she abruptly stopped answering phone calls. On December 23rd, locksmiths discovered her body in her apartment after they forced open the door. So she passed away.
0: Did they know how? Of what?
1: They didn't say, I don't know, there, she had like heart issues, you know, and low, like the fall. Low blood,
0: low blood pressure. <laughs>
1: All the, I mean, so many complications from the fall and like her physical being, right? Yeah. Yes.
0: Because that's not supposed to happen.
1: No. So yeah, they just said that she struggled with heart ailments in the years leading up to her death and that she was buried in Belgrade's new cemetery on December 27th. Of what year? 2016. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's fairly recent.
1: Yeah. Wow. I think she was 66.
0: Well, considering her heart almost exploded. Yeah. So probably, yeah, that was a little
1: bit difficult. A little difficult. So before we get to organization to support, I just want to mention really quick about the national parks that are in the area kind of close to that crash site because there are a lot of these like super cool areas in the Czech Republic that you can go visit. There are actually four national parks very close to the crash site. And I thought it would be like super crass of me to talk about it in the middle of the story. So I <laughs> I kind of like tacked it on to the end here right. just because I was interested to know, like it was interesting that they fell in a place where that there happened to be people because surrounding that area is just like, Acres and acres of forest Just and forest. nothing. Right. Yeah. And like she, the fact that she fell right there and that, you know, Bruno was right there, was able to help her mm-hmm. is kind of miraculous.
0: Yes. So she was screaming and bleeding and. He was there. Yeah. A massive. Like she would have died if she was yes. alone. Yes. Yes.
1: So, yeah. So this crash site is slightly southwest of the newest of four national parks in the Czech Republic. Uh, this park is called the Bohemian Switzerland National Park. Uh-huh. I did read a little bit up on the term bohemian just because it's kind of related to the different groups of people that live in or like early tribes in the Czech Republic. Gypsies? Like native people who live in that area, like have always been in that area. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was I'm not going to go into that, but I started to <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is a That's lot. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I found this travel blog that was started by this woman, Samantha Hussey Barbagalo. It's called The Wandering Wanderluster and Ooh. it is pretty legit like she's been doing this travel blog since like 2002 or something wow 2006 maybe That's some serious blogging yeah and it's still super active like she just posted something the other day i'm like jeez yeah anyway she moved she's english and she moved to prague around that time like 2000 and she was just kind of you know talk about things that were in prague that she learned about and then yes. it just turned into this like massive travel blog That's anyway pretty cool. She had an article from 2016, I think. It was five reasons to visit this park. And the first one is called... God, these names, Jen. (laughs) These, like, Eastern European. So hard. I have no idea how to pronounce this. Anyway, uh, this is kind of like an iconic sandstone sandstone gate that was naturally formed in the park. And it was featured in the Hollywood movie The Chronicles of Narnia, no one's actually able to be on it. So when you see it in the movie, like they're like crossing over it, like walking on it, That's a lie. they've been superimposed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also the location where the famous fairy tale writer Hans Christian Andersen wrote part of The Snow Queen. It's like inspirational. Uh, mm-hmm. I cannot pronounce the name of it. I will just spell it for you guys. It's P R A V C I C K A B R A N A. And there are a lot of like little things above the letters. Yes god i'm so uncultured i'm sorry you guys uh number two <laughs> is the commence river boat trip she says while the bohemian switzerland national park is abundant in fascinating towering rock formations the park is also home to an idyllic and mystical canyon where you'll find edmund's gorge and divoka gorge meaning wild gorge the gleaming and musty teal commence river runs through the shaded canyon with 40 meter cliff walls on either side Here you can board wooden boats manned by ferrymen with a barge pole and travel through two gorges on an eccentric trip through this magical landscape.
0: Magical. And she has photos.
1: It looks freaking beautiful. Yeah. It says, don't forget to pull the rope and activate the waterfall, which gushes out between the rock formations into the twinkling gorge below. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Do they like set up a thing where you can like... Pull it. Make a little waterfall? That's kind of cute. That is. Anyway. Anyway. Number three is a historical town. Again, I'm not going to try. I think it's Jetrichovice. J-E-T-R-I-C-H-O-V-I-C-E. My God. (laughs) So embarrassing. It's fine. Uh, This historical town is the gateway to numerous hiking trails and sandstone towers that rock climbing enthusiasts dream about. It is also one of the best places to stay in the Bohemian Switzerland National Park. But before you head off for your adrenaline dose, make sure you spend a little time just wandering through this picturesque town. If this is how she blogs? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like magazine style. It's beautiful, honestly. Yeah. yeah. She says it's home to numerous traditional style homes that have become an attraction in the town themselves. And again, photos. There's so many photos.
0: It sounds really beautiful. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'll ever be able to get there. I mean, it's just like there's One day, so many places. So many places.
1: Yeah. There's another kind of like tower that's located on top of these sandstone rock formations and it's close to um, that town that i just spoke about the historical town and there's a rock up there called mary's rock it's one of the best viewpoints in bohemian national park it is a perfect spot to head uh, for sunset but this view doesn't come without pain it's 600 plus stairs to this top will test your leg muscles and count for your cardio workout for the day but trust me the view is 100 percent worth it 600 steps That sounds (laughs) awful. You get to the top, you're like, yeah, it's really nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Jen, I'm just going to stay down here. Can you get a picture for me? (laughs) Here's my phone. Then the last spot that she highlights is a castle, the Sonstien Castle. Mm -hmm. That's a castle. It's a castle. It's cool. It's close to the historic town, and it is a relatively unknown lookout point and home to the ruins of a 14th century stone castle with views out over the national parks, forests, and valleys, this picturesque spot is the ideal location if you're looking to propose or watch a romantic sunset. While not as strenuous of a hike as the Mary's Rock, you'll still be required to climb some pretty steep ladders to enjoy the view. So you got you just got to work for it. There's going to be a lot of climbing, but it's, it's going to be beautiful. And I'm going to go there with my fiance, who I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) so here we are to our organization to support kind of a short episode today.
0: It's super interesting, though. I thought it was a great story. Yeah, it is. Um,
1: I ended up I ended up choosing Amnesty International. I know we've chosen this before for some other you have stories. Yes, Yes, I have. Yes. Um, And I just want to say that this is probably the best place to donate right now for Mm -hmm. issues in Serbia. They have a whole page. I will include it in the link and then the organization to support things. But yeah, again, just go check out Amnesty International. They do a lot of good stuff. There are a lot of issues going on in Serbia. And they they talk about like current issues today. Yeah. So, you know, enforced disappearances, torture, freedom, freedom of assembly, freedom of, of expression, violence against women and girls, Ugh. refugees and migrants' rights, right to housing, right to health, um, LGBTQ people's rights, all these arms, irresponsible arms transfers. There are many issues, you know, read about it, donate some money their way.
0: Right. Or at least get educated
1: yes, on it. for sure. At get, the very least. And get sad. A little bit of a downer episode. Kind of. Good times. Good times. Well. Yeah. Anyway, I so thought- uh, Jen, we're here at the part of the episode where we talk about our emergency preparedness kit.
0: Oh, I thought before that we wanted to hear the song. Oh,
1: yeah. Do you think there's a copyright on that song, though? What did we get?
0: <laughs> I mean, do you think there's a copyright?
1: <laughs> That's pretty sweet.
0: Just for a second. Mm-pa, 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 mm-pa. Is there going to be some singing? I'm not it sure. has a
1: quality to it.
0: I mean, there's a guy. I don't know if he's going to sing. That looks familiar.
1: It doesn't. That looks amazing, though. Is He's like the Barry Manilow of Serbia. <laughs> I'm waiting.
0: Yes. That's nice. It is nice. Okay, in case there's copyright, we're just gonna
1: stop it right there. Uh, yeah, I, you can really hear how he's saying her name, Vesna.
0: Yeah, oh, Vesna. I mean, she deserved to have a song made yeah. after her.
1: Yeah, I, for sure. She seemed like a cool lady.
0: I wish things had worked out better for her in the end. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, who knows? Yeah, because I would think that that kind of impact to your body could change you and a your personality. The, yes, and then yeah, all the things like. Right. To affect your health in the future, or affect how you make decisions, or
1: for sure, whatever.
0: But it's not. I mean, she did some pretty cool stuff, but we
1: don't know all the things. All the things, yeah. And what she was dealing with, right? She, yeah, she. I don't know if I mentioned it in here. She always had a limp following. There was, you I, know, never able to. I mean, that. but if she could walk, that's a, a freaking miracle.
0: And have a heart that didn't burst. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's something to be said for low blood pressure here. <laughs> I think so. I mean, what are some things that could assist with extra low blood pressure? Just a uh, coffee for your medical test?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like, give you low blood pressure. Oh. I mean, just like zenning out somehow? Like, yeah. it's some meditation? Or listening to some of this music? Guided meditation.
0: Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know.
1: I'm like... Oh, you know what? Should... You know, actually... What? I've been super into something. I sent you a link to this and another one of our coworkers. workers I like, sent a link to you guys uh-huh. for um, a playlist for Yacht Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the first song that came on was Captain and Tennille. And I was like, no, Megan, <laughs> I'm good. I, apparently, apparently the young people, Jen, uh-huh. love Yacht Rock. Really? Yes. Okay. So today Damien goes, Mom, I love this song. He's like, I love this song. It's by this guy, ar Humperdink. And I was like, Engel... Engelbert Humperdinck are you talking about it's because they hear it on TikTok yeah it's a song that people use on TikTok because it's like they're like so mellow right it's like can fit behind a lot of things yeah and so he he's like I was like wow I'm not even into that but also I do appreciate some yacht rock
0: yeah my kids are like you know we love this song material girl (laughs) and I'm like and then they want to play it in the car and I'm like you guys I just can't and then you're just crying. I'm like, I can't. I can't go back. I can't go back to fifth grade. Stop it. <laughs> it's like, it's just, I don't like it. I just think it's terrible music. I don't like, I, oh, I don't like that song yeah. at all. But they think it's super cool.
1: I can't wait till they hear uh, Like a Prayer. That was my number one favorite Madonna song. That video is so rough though.
0: I was at the grocery store right before I came here and they were playing Pearl Jam, Jeremy.
1: Well, because it's that's like, you know, and I was
0: like, I now. was just like singing under my breath, like, bit the recess lady's breath. <laughs> I, like, I just remember like how long it took for me
1: to figure out that he said recess lady's breath. Right. Yeah.
0: And we're all like, is that what he said?
1: <laughs> her breath? What? Yeah. And like, you're like, better on the boot. <laughs> and you're like making eye contact with people in the aisle with I'm you. All like, and recess, you're like, and they're all like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that was recess lady." Same, break. same. <laughs> Um, Uh, yeah, no, I think I think that you should have some kind of guided meditation or meditative type music, maybe.
0: Well, because in this case, the low blood pressure is what saved her. It is. And I mean, for sure, like some of these people at that point, it was just that they just passed out. Yeah, completely. Yeah. But I think that that's a pretty cool fact that low blood pressure help you from exploding. Mm -hmm. So I'm going with, yeah, some meditative music. Sure, a meditative music playlist or whatever will help you lower your blood pressure in case you fall six miles from the sky. I love it. So come up with whatever you want from that because yacht
1: rock, you guys.
0: <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> yacht rock. If you like Pina Colada. Oh, gee. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. I tell you what you shouldn't have are a bunch of cats screaming at you outside of the That's door while we're trying right to podcast because they're hungry. I mean, it's not even six o'clock. What is wrong with them?
0: I know. Mine mine doesn't he starts at like one o'clock. I'm like, it's not five. It's, what just are you, so you know. You have
1: so many more hours. <laughs> so many more.
0: Just go back to sleep. Anyway, thanks for that. That was a cool episode. It You're was welcome. an interesting story. I had seen when I look when I was researching about Julianne's story, I had seen some of these other ones, but yeah. never And I think I had read about this lady, but briefly. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so cool. It's interesting. Yeah.
0: Anyway, thank you.
1: You're welcome. It was so great. You're Gonna Die Out There is produced by us, Jan and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury.
0: We'd love it if you can leave us a five-star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts.
1: You can support us by following on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts or becoming a patron.
0: Check out more on our website. At you're going to die out there.com, where you can see our awesome eco friendly sponsors and nature nerd artisans page.
1: If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on the website or to our email, you're going to die out there at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye.